So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Andrew mentioned that earlier. I'm just going to read from verse 18 and we're going to continue. We've been looking over the last few weeks just at a theme, the theme of overcoming. And we're going to continue with that this morning. So Luke chapter 18, reading from verse 18, a well-known story. We read that a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to him, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will, receive, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the life in the age to come, eternal life. Thank God for his word today. Let's just come and pray. Father, we want to pray that your word will teach us again what it means to, to value the things that really matter in life, who we need to put first in our lives, how we need to live in order to reflect truly who is first for us. Be with us and speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're going to look today at another topic in, in this series of over, in Overcoming. And to introduce this to you, I just want to share a quote and a short story. Now, here's the quote. An extremely rich man asked what would really, was asked what would really satisfy him. He replied, just a little more. The story, a very rich man died and he was famous for his magnificent collection of art treasures antiques and silver. After his funeral, a journalist sidled up to the vicar and whispered in his ear, how much did he leave? Back came the whispered reply, everything. So have you got it? I'm sure that you have. Today we're going to be looking at greed and particularly how we can over come greed. And where I think we have to begin here is by accepting that greed 
is one of the most socially acceptable sins, even not seen as a sin, in our society today. Greed today is accepted as normal. Indeed, it's more often seen as a, a virtue. It's seen as something that's to be admired and, and emulated. People who, as it's popularly put, have made it, and who then, as a result of this, are able to live lives of outrageous consumerism. These people are usually held before us by the media as role models whose example we should seek to follow, or even as icons who we should almost bow down and worship. Now, maybe one of the most marked examples of this over recent decades has been the pop star, Madonna. She has lived a life of outrageous consumerism. Some would even say that she almost bought her four adopted children from Malawi. But listen to this comment once made by her. This is what she said, that she doesn't even know anybody who's really happy. Contrast that with the comments of a hard-nosed, cynical British journalist who travelled to India to report then on on Mother Teresa's ministry at that time in Calcutta. And this is, this is what this man wrote. Their life is tough and austere by worldly standards. But I have never in my life met such delightful, happy servants or have ever seen such an atmosphere of absolute joy as they create. If you want a more kind of down-to-earth mundane example of the way that the acceptance, even the exaltation of greed has actually taken hold in our society, then what about this? Someone sets out to build a business. In the process, they pound their employees mercilessly. They undermine their competitors deceitfully. They overcharge their customers regularly. But as a result of this, they make a fortune. So what is society's verdict on them? They are a success. Nothing else matters but the fact that they have made money. How they got there, who they had to destroy in getting there, nothing else matters. None of it seems to matter, or at least it's seen as relatively insignificant in comparison to the fact that they made money. That's what matters. Some time ago, a survey was done in the United States, and the question that was asked was, how much would you be willing to do, or what would you be willing to do in order to gain $10 million? What would you do for that? 25% of those who were questioned said that they would be willing to abandon their families, walk out on their entire extended family, disappear and never come back. 23% said they would be willing to become prostitutes for a week. 16% said that they would leave their husband or wife. 3% said that they would be willing to put up their own children for adoption. 
And let's not, because of the kind of extreme nature of some of these examples that I've just shared, feel that we're distanced from this, decide that, that we're in some way, maybe just because we're Christians, that we're immune to greed. Because we're not. We're not. For greed is woven today into the very fabric of our society. And greed receives a warm welcome from our sinful human nature. A warm welcome. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, greed is subtle. It sneaks up on you. And greed causes us to try and earn more than we need, to own more than we can ever use, and to ache for things that we actually know deep within ourselves will never really satisfy us. And the poor are affected by greed at least as much as the relatively well-off. In fact, somewhere during the week I came across the, the statement that some of the greediest people are those who actually have little, who perhaps stand in lottery queues and scheme and fantasize thinking that this money, if only they get it, will satisfy all their needs, solve every problem that they have. Let me just give you another illustration of the way that greed can, can just distort our, our values and our, our attitudes. In, in 1958, Baron Bick began to first market his famous pen. He actually got the idea off a guy called Byro, so you can see all this happened. But it was a this first pen, this big pen, was seen as a real trendsetter. It wrote well. It was made of clear material so that you could see just what level of ink was left in it. It was shaped in such a way that it would not easily fall off a desk. It was wonderfully designed and it was robust and it was hard wearing. This being demonstrated in one of the initial advertisements that, that were made by a big pen being shot through a sizable chunk of wood and still being able to be used when it came out the other end. The great thing about the first big pens, though, was that you got all of this for only a few pence. And that continues right till today to be the same. These pens are still very, very inexpensive. So they became incredibly popular. Everybody loved to have their big pen. For example, in 1967, just nine years after their first appearance, 460 million of these pens were sold in the United States alone. By the 1980s, though, things had changed. Bix by then were no longer, as they had once been seen, they were no longer a fashion statement. They were no longer that new, innovative product and so they were no longer wanted by the in crowd. They were just bought, bought by schools and businesses, and that was about it. Do you know what the pen of choice was, though, by the 1980s? The pen for which sales went up by 30% every single year from 1981 to 87. It was the Mont Blanc. And listen to this. These pens at that time cost one £150 each, and they cost, I think, substantially more now. I'll have to see how much I paid for it, only kidding. But tests, <laughs> tests have been done on these two pens. Don't ask me why they've done tests on them, but they have. And here's what they found out, that the actual difference in writing quality 
between these two pens is such as to be seen as insignificant. So why would somebody want a 150 pound pen when you can get one for 15p that'll do just about the same job? I mean, this is the kind of pen where if you lose it, you demolish your house to find it. But if you loan it out to somebody, you attach a tracking device to them to make sure they know where they'll be. So why buy this pen? I'm convinced that, that probably for the, at least the majority of people, the issue isn't one of taste. For some it is, but not the majority. It's about money. It's about greed. It's the idea that, that if I have this, it's going to say something about me. It's going to tell people that I'm somebody and the people who really matter will know that. But isn't that crazy when you think about it? Isn't that irrational? When someone gets to the point where they believe that a person's worth is defined in terms of the pen that they own. I just want to say, incidentally, at this point, that this sermon was written with a Stadler pen with a broken top. After Brexit, I won't use it, but that's it. And if you've got a Mont Blanc at home, by the way, I just want to say that I'm sure it was either given to you or it's just a sign of your exceedingly good taste. I'm sure about that. But can you see how greed can distort our thinking? How it can lead us to basically, in a sense, throw our lives away. It can. It can hoodwink us during our lifetime, and it can imperil our eternity. For it can tempt us to try to gain the whole wide world, everything that we want, which in the end, even if we get all we want, will never deliver the satisfaction we imagine that it will, but in the process of this, lose our souls for eternity because we don't even think about them. As Jesus said, in Mark 8:36, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Now the Bible is, is full to the brim of warnings about the dangers of greed, the deceitfulness of money, and of advice about how to overcome greed. But you know, the best thing outside of the Bible that I've ever read about this, that I think brings together all the different threads of the the Bible's teaching and, and clarifies a number of associated issues in a, trend, a tremendous way. The best thing I've ever found is found in a, a chapter on poverty in a, a book by a man by Dallas Willard. The book's called The Spirit of the Disciplines. This is a book that's worth buying just for this chapter alone. If you see, I, often, I think it's often felt among Christians that the antidote to greed that the way to deal with greed, the way to overcome greed, that God's answer to greed is poverty. Well, listen to this statement made by Dallas Willard fairly, fairly early on in his chapter, in this chapter, sorry. He says, the idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relation to wealth. Got it? Have you? I hope you've got it. Do you see? And that's what that 
story of the rich young ruler was all about. The possession of wealth is not the issue. The key issue is the way we use what we have and our attitude to what we have. And particularly in relation to greed, if we find ourselves trusting in what we have, if we think that these things will bring us security and happiness and well-being, if we think maybe that our, our wealth, our riches in some way give us status, make us somebody, make us better than those that are poor, well then if we're thinking in that way, we are in big trouble. Because if we trust in our riches, we will also come to love and serve our riches instead of should be vice versa. And we will find that in our day-to-day -day living that we will place possessions, things, above what really matters in life and even above God and his service. But you see, the truly godly answer to greed isn't usually, can be in some circumstances, but it isn't usually to give away all that we have and live in poverty. God asked that of a few people, but certainly not everyone. No, the truly godly answer, the answer God gives us to greed is to learn to use what we have as stewards for the glory of his name. Let me just quote to you again from Dallas Willard. To assume the responsibility for the right use of possessions through ownership is far more of a discipline of the spirit than poverty itself. Our possessions make possible activities in God's power that are impossible without them. Now, of course, we've got to say here that this is not easy to do. It's not easy. No, rather, as is usually the case in a sinful world, the truly spiritual way is the hardest way of all. It's not easy. That's seen witness to in that famous encounter in Luke 18, as we've said, between Jesus and the rich young ruler, we see it. That it's not easy to own things and yet not be owned, controlled by them. Money, possessions are deceitful, subtle, and yet powerful channels into our life by which Satan seeks to control our minds, direct our lives, and limit our usefulness to God. And that's a fact. So Jesus says in Luke 18, 25, he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You're so riches. The things of this world do so often get control of a man, of a woman. But that still does not change the fact that if we can learn to steward if we can learn to use what we have been given for the glory of God, that if we can get to that place where we have overcome greed in our life, that this is the best way to live the Christian life and the best place to be in life. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, it's not money itself, but it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And Paul then goes on from verse 17 of this chapter to give this advice to the rich. That is not to give all their money away, but rather, this is what he says, 
command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, really, when you boil it right down, greed is actually all about lordship. That's what it's about. That is, it is about this. Who is lord? Who is in charge? Who is first in our lives? And if Jesus Christ is our saviour and our lord, then we need to make sure that his lordship is then applied and lived out in the material area of our life as well as in every other. If we want to live our lives to their full potential, if we want to really actually live as the liberated sons and daughters of a sovereign God that we're called to be. And this will, this will, this must show itself in the way that we steward, in the way that we use what we've been given by God for his glory and for the good of our fellow human beings. And, and you know how crazy we are when we put things in God's place of lordship on our lives. How crazy we are when we allow ourselves to be deceived in the evil one, by the evil one, in this kind of way. Because these things will never ultimately satisfied they will always ultimately in the end let us down here's an example bill hybels once pastor of the huge church in chicago willow creek he tells that he's a real car nut he loves cars and he tells the story of how some prestigious garage in chicago decided to take him on as a cause and provide him with demonstration cars to drive for a period, they gave him what was lauded as the best American car ever. And he was out for lunch one day with a friend and telling them all about this wonderful car. And then he said, come on, I'll take you for a spin in it. He got into the car and it was dead. It wouldn't stop. Start, sorry. <laughs> the garage had to send out another car for him. And then, just after this, another time, they decided to change this a bit, and they gave him the best German car ever. The car was absolutely top of the range, and it had some kind of complex security system that you had to press a, a series of buttons in exactly the right order to get into it. And one night, he was at a leaders' meeting in the church, and he came out, and he went through this sequence, and all he got was flashing lights, and blaring sirens, but the car would not open. He tried it once or twice more, and eventually he had to ask for a lift from somebody else who was at the meeting. The next day, he phoned the garage, and he said that he could almost sense and detect the smug smile of superiority in the garage uh, foreman's voice. As the foreman just said to him, you must have got the sequence wrong. Don't worry. I'll come and I'll straighten it out. Two hours later, he happened to look out of his office window 
and felt a wonderful, if perhaps slightly sinful, sense of gratification as he saw the greatest German car ever being carted away on the back of a flatbed truck. You see, material things will always let us down. They'll never give us what they promise. And we're crazy to put these things first in our lives. Crazy to spend our lives chasing after these things. I mean, here's an example. When people told, get told that they've got three months to live, what do they do? Do they spend these three months going over their bank accounts, going over their stocks and shares, seeing how well they've invested? Do they review, look back over their lives and think about all the main major pur- purchases that they made? They don't. They never do. People are concerned then usually about only two things. Eternity and the people who matter to them. You see, when the chips are down, that's what really counts. God matters. People matters. Much more than things. And I I want to suggest to you today that it's better not to wait till the last three months of your life. If indeed you get that kind of opportunity, that kind of warning. It's far better to sort out your life and its priorities now and make sure that you live your life in the light of those priorities and do it now. Don't wait. Do it now. Ezekiel 5.10 says, and how right it is, it says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. We've talked a lot about the principles that surround greed and its presence in our life. We've talked also about the principle that we need to keep at the heart of our life if we're going to overcome greed. That is the the principle of lordship leading to stewardship. Let me just finish very briefly now by suggesting some practical steps that I believe that we can take simple steps in order to ensure that greed is stopped dead in our life. And to ensure that we're using whatever money and resources we've been given, whatever material wealth God has given us, to make sure that we're using this in a God-honoring way. So first I would suggest, earn money according to your potential. Christians need never be ashamed of earning money. And certainly each one of us should do the best we can to use the gifts and abilities that God has given us to their utmost. And if by doing so, this means that we prosper materially, well then as God is Lord of our lives and our finances, there is no need to be ashamed or feel guilty about that. Second, enjoy. Enjoy the fruits of your labor. Listen friends, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things of life. God actually made this world for us so that we could enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it, provided that we do not lose sight of God's lordship and that we don't forget those who are in need. Paul in 1 Timothy 4.4 says, he says, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That is with acknowledgement of God as Lord. And Proverbs 22 verse 9 says, a generous man will himself be blessed. 
for he shares his food with the poor. Third, save. Live within your means so that you can give to God and so that you can respond to the poor and to their emergencies and to any emergencies that arise in your own life and in your own family. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Paul says, he says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then in Proverbs 6, 6, we find this verse of advice taken from a very earthly uh, subject. It says there, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers food at harvest. Number four, give. Give to God. Give a percentage of what you earn on a consistent basis. And you know, giving is important because giving is a concrete way that we can express that God is Lord of our lives. And the consistent, thought-out discipline of giving is a wonderful way to keep greed's claws out of our life. A wonderful way. Now, the generally agreed starting point for Christian giving is a tithe. That's giving a tenth of what we have back to the Lord, something that started back in Genesis 14 with Abraham's offering given via the mysterious priest Melchizedek. Now, I know, as I say that, that sometimes that can seem an awful lot, particularly when we're on a tight budget. But you know something? Giving actually needs to be a sacrifice. It does. Because it's about honouring God. It's about keeping our lives, our priorities, right before God. And I truly believe that if we give as we should, giving God the first fruits giving to him first and then living on what is left, then not only will that help to keep us free from greed, but also that will bring blessing into our lives. God will bless us as we give. Sometimes bless us materially, and he does. I've seen it again and again. But always he will bless us spiritually. He always will. As Paul again says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he says, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And the Lord is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. One last fact before I finish. Recent studies have determined that people, as they look over their life, ache more about the things that they've failed to do rather than what they actually did. You see, what causes people their greatest heartache is the opportunities that they missed, the opportunities that they failed to grab hold of. I want to say to you, I beg you today, don't throw your life away 
by chasing first after what doesn't really matter, by putting first what actually isn't really important. Don't throw your life away. Get things right and get them right right now. Put God first in your life. Live with him as Lord. Turn away from greed. Do that and see how God is able to use you and able to bless you. Let's come and pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word and for what it teaches us about just simply how we should live if we really are your people. About how we can find freedom. About how we can use what we've been given and use our lives to their utmost. Lord, you want us to enjoy life. You want us to enjoy what you've given. But you also want us to acknowledge you as Lord above all. And you want us to have a heart for those who are in need. Lord, just guide us and help us. Help us to live for your glory. That we might know more of your glory in our life and experience. This we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.